Are you guys having a good day today? Awesome. So glad that uh, you guys took time out of your schedule to be here. Because this is really, really important things to be talking about and hearing about. And so it blesses my heart that you guys are here. And thank you for all of your questions. Um, Quite a few came in. And uh, I doubt that we'll get through all of them. Sorry about that. But we're going to do our best. And um, so here we go. I'm going to address this first one to you, Pastor Barry. Um, cause you, I think more than all the rest of us, you, you are doing this and traveling around and doing prophecy conferences and, um, aren't you headed to Dallas next week? Yeah. And he just came back from New Zealand and Australia. And, um, so can, can we just one more time, thank him for being here today. Jason and Tony had to be here because they're my friends, and, and we sent them out, but uh, no, I like how you sent me out twice. Like, I try to keep coming back, and you keep going, nope, and you sent me away somewhere else. So, anyways, just thought I would point that out. Oh, man. But, um, so the question came in, is Bible prophecy growing in popularity? <laughs> yeah, I, it's interesting because no matter where uh, we travel in the world, we always hear the same two things. We can't find a Bible teaching church, and nobody's teaching prophecy. And so when you get out away from the U.S., uh, the crowds are big. The interest is great. Uh, people are hungry. They want to know the truth. They want to know what's coming. And uh, so that's a good thing. Here in the U.S., I think to a degree, it's reached a saturation point. And uh, what's been happening is that in, in the U.S., we've seen uh, in most places, especially in California, uh, conferences, uh, the attendance is shrinking. Uh, in Dallas, <clears throat> those Texans, they want to know what's up. Uh, <laughs> there's, there's always uh, a well-attended conference, actually, uh, we're going to be teaching the whole book of Revelation in one day, nice. uh, two times, uh, all day Friday, all day Saturday. And um, so there's, there's always an interest in what's going on uh, by many, many Christians, no matter what state you're in. But it, it's curious that what's happening is kind of what I think what Jason was talking about, is there's a bit of a shift. And there's a lot of interest in fringe things uh, rather than what the Bible says. And, you know, one thing that, um, one of the reasons I think that God has has brought Amir and I together especially uh, is because neither one of us uh, are into sensationalism. We just teach the book. Yep. And, you know, all these things that we're seeing happening, we're hearing a lot of stuff that's kind of out there. And what's out there is drawing a crowd. And, you know, when you're just straight up teaching the Bible what you get is, oh, well, yeah, we've been hearing that. You know, my mom, my grandma used to tell me that. You know, so yeah, 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 rapture, 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 whatever. Uh, so, you know, that's, that's sadly kind of the attitude that uh, I think, one, is generated by the absence of teaching sound doctrine. And, you know, when you've got, you know, we've all heard it. 
27% of the Bible is prophecy. 8,200 of the 31,000 verses are related to prophecy. And uh, so if you're not teaching the Bible, you're not teaching prophecy. So they go hand in hand. So we've got a multitude of churches in the country that don't teach the Bible, so they're not teaching prophecy, so there's no interest in it. And uh, what people do find interesting is, is some of the stuff that we hear about AI and all that. You know, and one of, the, one of the things I think that is important for us to remember is that there is room for some calculated speculation. As long as we don't wander outside the boundaries of Scripture and start making stuff up, uh, then it's okay to say, you know, well, here's what I think is going to happen with the Ezekiel War. Here's, you know, the timing. And, and, you know, I think that it's very possible that before the rapture, the Ezekiel War could start. But I'm not going to say you're not saved unless you believe that. Right. Um, you know, so we can, we can speculate. We can consider certain things that we see going on around us and not do any harm to the integrity of Scripture or infringe upon the unknown day and hour. Amen. Yeah, I think personally that the next thing on the prophetic calendar could be the Ezekiel 38 war, or it's going to be the rapture. One of those two, to me. But um, second follow-up question uh, to that, and I'd love for all of you to weigh in, is um, so you mentioned, Barry, that um, of the amount of Christians that there are today in the world, only 2.2% percent believe in the rapture is that what, that's what you said right 6.6 percent of the 2.42 billion believe in the rapture okay 6.2 percent oh 6.2 percent of the yes so so the minority of us believe in in the rapture and for some of you that may be as surprising for others of you it's what you're hearing from different people like oh you know no one believes what you believe Um, so I I just want you guys to address that. Why do you think that is? Why are we in the minority? And what should be our response to that one? You you know, one of the things that I was thinking about in um, 2 Peter 3, um, verse 4, we all know it said that a sign of the last days, it said that there will be scoffers in the last days saying, where is the sign of his coming? But, you know, things have just been continuing as they've been. And so that attitude and that spirit uh, is prevailing, um, in, in, especially in our country today, uh, concerning the end times and that sort of thing. Because people are saying, ah, yeah, my parents, my grandparents been saying that. Now, when I got saved back in the 80s, we were talking, I mean, all the talk was about the rapture. Jesus can come back at any time. We should reach and we got to reach as many people as we can we got to save the loss and all that and now fast forward 40 years later and people are like ah you know no and so i think that's the attitude that's prevailing today just hearing him answer a question i can't wait for next session like (laughs) i love i love this guy so much so i'm excited i'm excited for session number four so anyway i just thought i'd say that but you know, it, it's it's true. Um, I get more negative emails on rapture studies than anything else I teach. Absolutely. Like people in, in the church that are generally on the same page with me on so many issues. But whenever I talk about the rapture, it's like, oh, no. And, and I really, I think, I think what, what Pastor Barry was saying is so true. The more America becomes biblically illiterate, mm. 
then, then it's like, oh, well, you know, what in the, what in the world? Because it, it does sound kind of fanciful. Like, we, you know, I, I know I just talked about aliens, so it doesn't get worse than that. But, <laughs> but, but the reality is like, oh, you're just suddenly going to be caught up into the clouds to meet the Lord. They're like, yeah, that just, that sounds really, but if you're a Bible student, yeah. uh, you see it's repeated at least three times in the scripture yeah. in the New Testament. And, and, and so I, I think the less America is biblically literate and the church as a whole, forget just America. Yeah. But the yeah. world is biblically illiterate. The reality is it becomes just a harder thing for people to believe because it does sound fanciful, and why would you even believe that? Yeah. One of the, I think, uh, c- contributing factors today is what's called dominion theology yeah. or kingdom now theology. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, the new apostolic reformation that is driving this is the fastest-growing movement in the church today. Yeah. It's spreading all over the world by leaps and bounds. And what dominion theology is, is that the church must have dominion or authority over seven power centers of the world, including government, education, family life. One of the things I think that tells us the rapture isn't anytime soon is the media. The church has to have dominion over the media, according to the seven mountain mandate. Well, that means Jesus is a long way off as far as that I'm concerned. But what the teaching is, basically, is that the church has to make the world ready for Jesus before he's coming back. And Jesus said, well, it's actually the opposite. I'm going to prepare a place for you, and I'm going to come again and receive you to myself that where I am, you may be also. And dominion theology absolutely contradicts what Jesus said at the Last Supper to the disciples. You you know, um, one of the things that um, blows me away as I... Uh, you know, read through the Bible and read through the New Testament. It's something that Jesus said in Luke 18.8. And whenever I come to it, I'm like blown away because he says when he comes back, will he really find faith on the earth? And I'm just like, wow. Now I'm hoping and praying and wishing for revival and all that to take place. But when Jesus comes back, will he really find faith on the earth? Will he find anybody believing in him? On the earth. So I, I think the illiteracy of, of biblical illiteracy that we are experiencing in our country, in our nation, period. Jesus, I mean, you know, the prophet uh, Hosea said the people perish for lack of knowledge. Then he goes on to say because they have rejected knowledge. And people are rejecting the truth today, rejecting uh, what, we, what these men have uh, already taught us uh, this morning. They're rejecting that kind of stuff. So I see, I, I'm not shocked of the Bible prophecy conferences in America, the numbers are going down because of the, the climate is, is being set uh, for the last days that we're living in. You know, in Second Timothy 4, Paul says in the last days, they'll, they'll heap up. I, I like yeah. that he uses that yeah. term. Heap yeah. pile up yeah. teachers yeah. because they have itching ears after themselves, or to put it another way, they're going to heap up teachers who are going to tell them what they want to hear. And I think we're, we're living in that time right now. Um, but a, a year or so ago, I was doing a, a podcast interview with um, Pastor David Gusick, and we were talking about revival, and we were talking about the last days. And I asked him this question, because as we read the Bible, and I think um, Barry said this, or Pastor Barry said this earlier today, that the Bible makes it clear that in the last days, things are going to be getting worse on many, many levels. But then there's all this talk about, you know, revival, and we're praying for revival. And so I was asking Pastor David, I said, 
you know, how does that work? How do you think that works? And, and can we see a, 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 another outpouring of God's spirit in the last days, even though it says that, you know, things are going to be getting worse? And his response, I thought, was so insightful. He said, I do think that we could see another revival, but it will be different from any other revival that we've seen in this way. The light and those who are believers, who's are following, they're going to be shining brighter, but the darkness is going to be getting even more darker. Like the dividing line between the two might be as distinct as they as it has ever been. And I think we're we're in that we're we're moving in that direction right now. I mean, the dividing line is getting so um, distinct between light and darkness in our culture, maybe more so than any time I've ever seen it, you know, as a believer. Yeah, no doubt. Second Timothy 3.13 says, evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. And we're, we're seeing that. We're seeing that today. All right. Let's move on to a different question here. Um, Jason, I'll direct this one to you, and then you guys can chime in. Um, I heard there's a controversy over the location of the temple that is to be rebuilt at the time of the Lord's return. Has the correct location been determined? Well, I think think what you're meaning the question, maybe, that's all I got as far as an answer, is that the Jewish tradition is that the Jewish temple was sitting over where the Dome of the Rock is today. And it is one of the two places on the Temple Mount where actual bedrock sits up. And again, the Jewish thought was that was where Abraham would have taken Isaac to be offered there where the bedrock is sticking out of the, the platform that Solomon built. And so it had to be there. And, and the, the, the issue is there's a second place where, where bedrock comes up outside on the Temple Mount. And it's just, it's just a little bit to the, the, the north and west of where the Dome of the Rock sits. And it's under something called today the Dome of the Spirits. You can actually, if you get a day where they're, they're not you know, fighting each other, you can go up on top of the mount, on the Temple Mount, and actually sit under the, the Dome of the Spirits and be at this second place where there is a bedrock coming up. And personally, I, I like that location better for, for a couple reasons. Number one, it lines up with the East Gate of Jerusalem. What's amazing is, you know, you go over there on tours and, and most of the Jewish guides you find will say, yes, the Jewish temple was over the Dome of the Rock. Yes, it was on the Dome of the Rock. Yes, it was the Dome of the Rock. Then you go see their models of the city of Jerusalem and the temple always lines up with the Eastern Gate. And when we're sitting on the Mount of Olives, I just go, wait a second, I, your model says it's over here, but look clearly where the Dome of the Rock <coughs> is. And so I really believe that, that it will be to the north and then you have it fit in with what the book of Revelation tells us. As they measure this rebuilt temple, the third temple that will be there, they leave the outer court to the Gentiles. And if you built the the temple today where the the Holy of Holies would be under the the table of the spirits, then the outer court would be where the Dome of the Rock is today. And you could have exactly what the book of Revelation says, which is always a good way to go. Just believe whatever the Bible says. And then you would need someone like the Antichrist because, listen, boy, you, you can't even go on there and do a Bible study today. I can't imagine what has to happen, happen geopolitically for the Jews to build a temple on that Temple Mount. Like we were there doing a Bible study and the, 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 the guy told a joke and I laughed. And this guy ran at me with a, with a machine gun and he said, there is no joy in this place. <laughs> oh, I, was like, I was like, bro, congratulations. You took what used to be the center of joy in the universe 
and now there's no joy in this place. So a lot of things are going to have to happen with the Antichrist to get that to happen, but I think that's how it's going to unfold. I think what Jason just said is important to remember because this is the Antichrist temple. And the third temple is never directly stated in Scripture. It's only implied. And there has to be a place for the daily sacrifices Mm -hmm. to be uh, canceled out. Uh, There has to be a place for the abomination of desolation to take place. But the temple of the millennium is described in great detail in uh, Ezekiel in the later chapters. And Isaiah in the later chapters describe the temple and what's going to be happening on the earth. And, you know, it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, a lot of Christians want to contribute to the third temple. We need to send our money so they can build the third temple. That's the devil's temple. We don't need to be uh, helping finance that. Let him pay for his own deal. And um, I told you to stop doing that, Rob. I told you. I t- I'm trying to tell you. That's funny. I didn't mean to cut you off. You keep going, Pastor. I said to throw Robin on the bus for a second. You know, I was yeah. donating to the third temple. Okay. Um, all right, here's another question. With the pending CBDC and digital currencies taking precedence around the world, what are some practical things Christians should gear up for in a digital economy? A lot of questions about the digital economy. So one of you guys want to address that? <laughs> what do you feel, Pastor Barry? <laughs> Don't buy Bitcoin, I feel that. But, um, you know, the, the, uh, one of the uh, congressional committees just basically uh, imposed a restriction on creating a digital currency just yesterday. Uh, but it's going to move forward. They're already moving forward in other means. The, the kind of, uh, um, oh, what's the pay- PayPal? type of technology is already in place for the federal government and control of it. And more and more banks are getting online with that where, you know, like the mark of the beast, everything is going to be presented in the positive. You know, come on, if you take this mark, then, then we can identify the enemies of the state. You know, we can eliminate drug trafficking and uh, uh, sex trade, you know, all this stuff. It's all positive, positive, positive. And the way that this uh, new federal system of bringing currency from the, from the, uh, pay point to the recipient is you can get the pay or the money from your check in your bank the day that you're paid and it can happen that fast so it's all being advanced but i think for us you know one of the things we have to recognize is that you know uh, let me just say this the the jab is not the mark of the beast because there's no beast amen amen but it was preparatory for the mentality that's necessary to be compliant uh, in order to conduct business. And uh, all that is advancing what is going to be fulfilled ultimately during the tribulation. You know, but I think God has given us minds, even the mind of Christ, and we need to make good, sensible decisions. After all, the proverb says, you know, it's a wise man that leaves an inheritance to his children's children. So I don't know that we have to make a bunch of major adjustments uh, in order to survive until the rapture of the church. Um, You know, if you want to invest in crypto, uh, hey, go for it. But I don't think we need to stock up on bullets and water and move to Montana. Um, You know, I think we can stay put 
and just make good, sound, and wise decisions. You know, because one, we're not going to see all those things when they reach their ultimate fulfillment. We are experiencing the preparations for them now. The technology, uh, the pay point capabilities, all that's already in place. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so this digital currency, I think, is a necessary element uh, of that because really money doesn't have any value anymore. They just print it. If you need it, print it. If Ukraine <laughs> needs it, just print some. Send it over. And actually, they're not even sending it over. It's just all electronic, you know. So it's just preparation for what's coming. And what's coming is not something we're going to see. Yeah. Amen. Yes. Agree wholeheartedly. The digital, digital currency is just, it's just setting things up. And my wife and I, are we kind of tend to trail behind in a lot of technology. And my wife just got all excited about, she was telling me this yesterday. She goes, do you have Apple Pay? <laughs> like, like, wow! I just like discovered this. Is, like, amazing! I don't. I just use my phone to pay everything. I like, babe. That's the mark of the beast. <laughs> I mean, come on. The the, the oh. logo for Apple is the is the bite out of the apple, right? You know? <laughs> I was just messing. I don't believe that. <laughs> that's the mark of the beast. But. You know, you can pay with your hand at Whole Foods now. You can palm pay and just wave your hand. Are you serious? Yeah. When did that happen? Uh, um, a couple months ago, I think it was. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. See, I, I don't. I, I live in Vistaberry, and, and I'm behind things. That's crazy. All right, next one. Um, do you believe the Antichrist will be fully human? Oh, wait a minute. I'm not, that's not the one. I want this one first. Do you believe the Antichrist will come into power before or after the rapture? Personally, I think he'll come to power after the rapture. I mean, he may, he may be a world figure, he or she may be a world figure. He, a world figure before that, certainly, but um, the Bible seems to indicate that it's, it's after, after the church is removed that then that which restrains is gone. He that comes to power will come to power. So I, I, think, I think it's afterwards, though I, I think you know, he can be a, a figure on the world scene at this time, um, just not certainly in control of the entire world until get those pesky Christians out of the way. You know, with their donations to the third temple and their Apple Pay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. Anybody want to add to that at all? Or is that good? All right. Oh. All right. <laughs> Follow-up question. Classic. Do you believe the Antichrist will be fully human before Satan takes over him, or do you believe... He'll be a hybrid with an AI. I, you, you know, talk I, about speculation. Yeah. <laughs> you got the I, alien I, guy I, to I, answer that question? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you know, I, I believe that he's going to be a human. Um, Zechariah eleven seventeen talks about how the Antichrist is going to receive a wound in his right eye and his right arm, so it is going to wither. So something is going to happen to him um, physically and lets me know that that's a human being, you know, not some hybrid AI, whatever, you know, just a a human. Good job. You're not going to touch that? I can add every single time. It seems to like take the conversation in a way that's not that great. So I'll just, I'll just be quiet for a few minutes. Yeah. Yeah, I think Revelation 13 makes it pretty clear that both the beast and the false prophet are humans. 
because the the uh, manufactured uh, idol, so to speak, is, is humanly created and therefore distinct from the first beast. So I think AI would very possibly pay or play a role uh, at that time, but I don't think it's you know there's any kind of hybrid or transhuman being that uh, is the Antichrist. All right, so in Second Thessalonians two. It says, the coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders and with all unrighteousness, unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them a strong delusion that they should believe the lie and that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So the question was, does that, what that is describing and that strong delusion take place after the rapture? Go. No, no, you're up. You raised your mic before I did. (laughs) You, you, You get in. And I'll say something about Rob. So go ahead. Just, just answer the question. Does Rob have Apple Pay? Do you know? <laughs> no, but his wife apparently has the mark of the Check beast. The back so of his anyway, hand, yeah. so. <laughs> he just donates to the third temple. I do not do that, by the way. Uh, the, the delusion, like everything else that's going to happen during the tribulation, the precursors are happening now. We've already live in a delusional world. And it's interesting that what happens in that passage is there's a specific lie yes. that is indicated. Yes. And that lie is the lie of the Antichrist. Yep. And the world is going to go after him. That's what Revelation 13 says. And, and, you know, one of the things I think that often gets skipped over is that the religion of the tribulation is Satan worship. Because Revelation 13 says the earth dwellers will worship the dragon. Who's the dragon? Satan. Satan. They're going to worship Satan and they're going to worship the beast. So, you know, clearly when he makes that midpoint of the trib declaration declaring to himself that he is God, uh, there are going to be massive numbers of people who believe that lie. Yeah, and that's true. That is the the case. It is not just uh, any old kind of lie. It is the lie of the Antichrist. So that means that he must be on the scene in order for them to believe that lie. And 2 Thessalonians 2, the very first part, said that the man of sin cannot be revealed until we're out of here. So it is talking about during the tribulation period where he is in power and there, and God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie of the Antichrist. Meaning that there are people who are alive today who have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and rejected it. They are the ones that will receive strong delusion that they should believe a lie. Because many people say, well, if somebody is alive today and they heard the gospel and they will reject it, will they get a chance to get saved? during the tribulation period. And I don't think so, based upon Second Thessalonians 2, because they will believe a lie because they had pleasure in unrighteousness. And so I don't believe that they will get a chance after the rapture. I believe that they will believe God will send them strong delusions because they had a chance to believe 
and they refused to believe. They had pleasure in unrighteousness. Therefore, during the time that he's in power, he is definitely going to send them a strong delusion, and they will believe that lie of the Antichrist. And I think Matthew 24, you know, as you guys well know, when it talks about all these signs that Jesus went through, we just dealt with one of them. But, but the reality is he talks about them being like birth pains. So, so just all of you precious women that have had children understand uh, they start off like, ooh, that's uncomfortable. And, you know, the first time moms are like, I wonder if that's labor. And the older moms go, you'll know. Like, you'll, you'll know. Like, it's not, you'll be like, I wonder if I'm about to have a baby. Like, you'll know. They get stronger and more intense. Yes. And so, too, with these things, there's always been false Christ. But when the first seal opens up in Revelation 6, the ultimate false Christ comes on the scene. There's always these nations rising up against nation, but then the the second seal opens up and a fourth of the world dies with the conflict, like the ultimate world war happens. So so, so going back to that question, um, the ultimate delusion will happen after the rapture. The ultimate delusion, but but delusion is here right now. We've already talked about it today. It's just going to get stronger and more intense until the people are like, yes, there is no God except for him. He is the one. We notice it says that it says they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe a lie. So these are people who have heard the gospel and they did not want to receive the love of Christ that they might be saved. They will receive a strong delusion and they will say that's our dude right there. And they will pledge allegiance to the Antichrist. So, so just to be clear on what you're saying, uh, Tony, because we were talking about, and this was one of the questions, it was, do we think that there will be some sort of revival that happens after the rapture? And we all believe that yes. because, you know, Revelation, it describes a group of people in heaven yeah. who are martyred, and it's a large group of people. Yeah. But yeah. what you're saying is those who, who follow the Antichrist, who follow are giving into that strong delusion, yeah. they won't have an opportunity. Exactly. Yeah. People who are alive and well today. And so the book of Revelation talks about in Revelation chapter 7, and it, it described the t- uh, 144,000 that from the uh, 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, they will be like 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams going yeah. out. And sharing the gospel with people who have not heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And a great number of them in Revelation 7, 9, and 10 talks about will get, you know, will come to know the Lord. And these are people who have never heard the gospel. Yeah, I think what what Pastor Tony said uh, in the first comment is important to insert in that and remember. And that is that they had pleasure in unrighteousness. So rather than accept the gospel message, which requires repentance, they chose as their final decision to have pleasure in unrighteousness. So they made their decision to completely reject the gospel. And, you know, I think there are going to be people during the tribulation who maybe have heard a preacher sometime or, you know, there's, they attended church a couple of times. Because after all, the Bible teaches a process for most of us in coming to faith. One sows, uh, one plants, another sows and another water. So this numberless multitude is from every aspect of life and every, every country in the world. <laughs> and one of the things, Rob, I think we need to highlight is there's a difference between revival and a great awakening. Yeah. 
Uh, revival, the word is only used one time in the whole Bible, and that's in the book of Ezra. And that's with the return of the Jews back to rebuild the city, the temple, the, uh, Nehemiah to uh, hang the gates and the streets and all the other stuff that we read there. And the word revival actually means to the renew, renew the validity. Can the church get back to its valid work? Anytime. Any individual can get back to the valid work of sharing the gospel of Christ. What happens during the tribulation is a great awakening. Dead people are being made alive. And just like prior to the tribulation, that's what happened to all of us. He took dead people and made them alive in Christ. And so during the tribulation, there's going to be the biggest, I believe, the biggest great awakening in the history of humanity is going to happen during that time. Yeah, I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. And I think there's, there's people, you know, right now who we've shared with, you know, you, some of you have kids that you've shared with who are like, ah, nah, but when the rapture happens, they're, they're going to realize, oh, my mom and dad were right and they're going to respond. But they know because I think, you know, they, we've told them that people in the tribulation, the majority of the people in tribulation, I think that come to Christ are going to lose their faith. I mean, they're going to lose their lives, not their faith. They're going to lose their lives for their faith in Jesus. And uh, that's why we see, I agree, full greatest awakening ever, but then this great multitude of those who had been martyred for their faith there in heaven. Um, and that's, those are the souls under the altar in yes. Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11. Right. right. Um, okay. <laughs> Could you explain the two-state resolution by the UN and the implications it has for America and Israel in biblical prophecy? You want to take that one, Jason? I don't think anybody can explain the two-state solution, including the people who designed the two-state solution. But obviously, everybody understands, um, basically, since Israel became a nation in 1948, uh, there has been this this push from the world to well we got to recognize the Palestinians that they have a place to live in a state that's going on as well and we don't have time in the question answer session to get to the history of all of that and 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 the fallacy of, of a lot of things that we're told on a regular basis concerning that but what what I think it shows you is that this country this little country of Israel that is you know about the size of San Bernardino County. So it's just tiny compared to the rest of the world. You know, I was, I was just in Nepal teaching the entire Bible in 37 hours. That was my assignment. I had to, I had to do the book of Revelation in one day, but I had to do the entire Bible in 37 hours. But, 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 and it was 119 inside at that time. But, but nonetheless, but you can fit seven Israels inside of Nepal. And Nepal is tiny. It's a tiny little country. And so Israel is very small. And yet the whole world freaks out about it. And again, that's biblical prophecy. You know, we're told that, you know, that the, the world will, will just obsess over the nation of Israel, this tiny, tiny, tiny country. And as was hinted at earlier, I think it's, it's a, a, amen to what Pastor Barry was saying earlier, you know, as God continues to bless 
the nation of Israel as they continue to find natural gas, as they continue to explore and find actual you know, petroleum there in the Golan Heights. As their economy begins to boom, they're surrounded by these nations who hate them already, don't like that they're being blessed. you got Russia in, in involved with that and, and not wanting them to flood the European markets with all of their natural gas and all of their, their, their petroleum. And so all of that's going to create this scenario that we're all familiar with, most of us are at least, mm-hmm. in Ezekiel 38. And even, even who's on the sidelines, right? Because it was, it was yesterday in Fox News talking about that uh, Netanyahu said that they're, they are almost ready for complete peace with Saudi Arabia. And I find that so interesting that, that it was just years ago where Saudi Arabia would have been first on the line to destroy Israel. And now exactly like Ezekiel says the Middle East will be formed is how it sits today. And again, all of that, all the things you read about the two-state solution and the problems in Israel, of course it all fits in with biblical prophecy. Jesus said, the Bible says, that Israel will be the center of what's going on in biblical times. The the Bible talks about the the wars that will be waged over Israel either before or after and during the tribulation period. So it's all significant to to biblical prophecy. You want to know what's going on in prophecy? Keep your eye on Israel. One thing I think just for our information, you know, one, first of all, it's not going to happen. Uh, Prophet Amos said in chapter 9, I think it's verse 15, that once Israel is back into their national homeland, they will never be uprooted. Now, if God said it, that's the way it is. Amen. Amen? But one thing I think just for your information, because so many Christians, you know, we've got this move like Christ at the checkpoint and all these other divisive things that uh, kind of look at Israel as an apartheid state. One thing to remember is that in 136 AD, Hadrian, the Roman emperor, because of the Bar Kokhba revolution and this constant uh, uprising within the Jews, he did multiple things. One, he killed hundreds of thousands of Jews. Secondly, he forbade two Jews to walk together. He also forbade the use of the term Jew, and he renamed the land after the ancient enemies of Israel, the Philistines. And how you say Philistine in Latin is Palestina. So the Philistines in antiquity are known as the Aegean Sea people. They're from Crete. They're not Arabs. The Palestinians today are Arabs. So their claim to have a right to the land that predates Israel is invalidated on multiple levels, but especially in the fact that the word Philistine means immigrant. (laughs) So if you're an immigrant, you don't have a right to the national homeland, right, of somebody else. So, again, just on on many, many levels. just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) So, again, I, I think just for information's sake, we need to understand that these people who are claiming a right to the national homeland that God gave by unconditional covenant to the descendants of Abraham and Isaac through Jacob have no rightful claim to that land because God gave it to Israel. All right. In light of that question came in, is America in Bible prophecy? And if not, why? But, but, but specifically, is Rome, Revelation twelve fourteen the eagle's wings, talking about America? Anyone want to jump on that one? No, and I don't know. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know why that is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I used to have the privilege of doing Wednesday night services here, so you know, we we went through the Book of Ezekiel together, and um, so so my opinion is, I think, I think, and that's I think. I think it's hinted at in the nations that align against Israel and are on the sidelines of Israel. Because when Ezekiel lays out all these nations, some of them you can go their heritage and clearly tell who there are. But then it talks about Tarshish and those that are the young lions or those that flow out of Tarshish. And historically, we understand Tarshish is probably in, in what is Western Europe today. And the nations that flow out of Western Europe would, of course, be us. It would be Canada. It would be Australia and, 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 and again, like Pastor Barry said, that's a big if. There's nothing like, you know, Jesus is, is God, is, is a hill to die on. Is America in Bible prophecy? That is not a hill to die on because we are, we are totally guessing. Um, but the reality is, if that's true, then it, it, is, it is rather um, disturbing to me that our future as a country, if that's us, will be not to intervene not to intervene in, in the invasion of Israel, but to sit on the sidelines and say, you shouldn't do that. And, and, and I, I, another, you want to know why I think the Lord is coming soon? That is the, the political stance of our government right now. Um, if a certain guy was in charge a few years ago, I don't think there's any way we would sit on the sidelines and say, you really shouldn't do that. Whatever you think about him, I don't think that would have been the response from <laughs> President Trump. So, so I think it's, the response now of, of, our, of our government is to say, hey, that's really not a good idea. Um, I, so I, I look at it and say, if that's us, and it's a big if, um, oof, he's knocking at the door. He's about to shake, shake the world, I think, as you said earlier. I think it's, it's a good state. Ice cream's got to be in there somewhere with this, new, this administration. Right? Amen. Yes, ice cream. Whatever you want to ask, Rob, we got all the answers. Whatever you want to ask. <laughs> He's like, why did I do this? <laughs> no, I'm just thinking, why did I invite you? <laughs> I wonder the same thing oftentimes. <laughs> no. I can come back a second time? <laughs> Praise um, God. All right. Hey, you know what, Rob? Can I address the second half of that question? Somebody referenced Genesis 12:3 in that, and what about the blessings of God and how our nation treats Israel? And you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, that's kind of that day has passed. But it, within that promise, Abram is told that in you all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's a messianic prophecy. Is that part still true? Okay, well then the front half is still true. We, because that's a, a package deal, and uh, we have to understand it's important how we treat the nation of Israel. It's better for our national health if we treat them favorably. Amen. Amen to that. Um, okay, here's another question. There's an obvious convergence of things happening in the world today. Why do you suppose more pastors don't talk about it? Because it's hard. It's it's hard. You know, if you if you take a stand on anything, and and all all I, I you know all these guys stand in front of you, obviously, you know we're, we're willing to teach the Bible and we're willing to say what it says and it means what it says, and and because of that, um, you know, 
criticism is a nice day sometimes with what people line up and say. And, and, and to be honest, most speaking of pastors in, in the world and in America, they don't want that. They, they don't want it. They don't, they don't want to be criticized. They want to be liked. They want people to really, you know, like them and, and he's a good old boy. So, so why would you want to say something? Why would you want to talk about sin? Why would you want to talk about prophecy? Why would you want to talk about these things when people are going to, you know, in the old days, write you letters. Now they send emails or, you know, send you a DM just telling you what an idiot you are. When, when the reality is it's much easier to have everybody like you. And so I think, I think that's why um, it gets ignored in a lot of pulpits today is that, that people, people realize it's hard. And I don't, I don't want a job that's hard, says they. Yeah. I, I totally agree with uh, what Pastor Jason said that it, it is tough. And, and then the climate of our society is you don't want to offend anyone. Even though Matthew 24.10 talks about that in the last days, many will be offended. But, but you don't want to offend anyone. So especially coming from the church and the pulpit, you don't want to offend anyone. So don't bring up or touch on subjects that will potentially offend someone. So many pastors fear man. The fear of man brings a snare, Proverbs 29.25. So they're a fear man, and they're in a snare, in a trap. And so, therefore, they will talk about things that will feel good kind of thing because the people have itching ears and they heap up for themselves teachers that will scratch them. And this is why you don't hear a lot of these tough subjects. And for us, Calvary Chapel pastors, we're going to teach from Genesis to Revelation, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, book by book. And we can't duck any subject. We can't. We must... Give that word. So this, so for us, we will come under a lot of fire. We'll be a part of the minority as far as pastors are concerned because we, uh, we fear God more than we fear man. Amen. Hey, Ron. I just, I'm so thankful for your answer because I get asked this question all the time all over the world. Why aren't more pastors teaching this? And that's always my answer because it's hard. But as I've been often asked to encourage pastors, I just remind them, name a book out of the 66 that's not hard. You have to study for them all. All of them require our diligence and the rightly dividing of the word takes time and it takes effort. And, you know, I love what John Corson used to say, that Revelation is the only book that comes with a divine outline, you know. It's already laid out for you in the beginning. Not only that, but it's the only book of the Bible that comes with a blessing to those who read, teach, and hear. Uh, Keep, which is interesting because that word means to guard from loss or injury. Mm -hmm. Oh, the Greek word. So it begins in 1-3 with a blessing. It ends in 22, I think 18, with a blessing. And uh, we should be blessed by teaching Revelation. And not only is every book hard... But give me one example of a pastor in history who was actually used by anything who didn't have it hard. I mean, I mean which, 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 which hero of church history was like, dude, he had a cake job. Who was that guy? Like, like I don't read about that. I, I feel like, hey, I, no, nobody sawed me in two yet. No one's removed my head from my body. I don't have to be in the bottom of the dungeon like Paul. I mean, I, you know, I, I can deal with an angry email. Like, that's going to be okay. But it's like everybody, everybody, everybody who's, who's doing what God wants them to do, there, there's a... There's a sense where it's hard. It is. 
You know, it's interesting, after a Sunday of preaching and hitting on some of these, you know, controversial topics today, and um, I had somebody come up to me and, and thank me, you know, like, oh, thank you so much for, you know, talking about this, and, you know, there aren't very many pastors who are talking about this, and because, you know, I run with guys like, like this, and, the, you know, the, most of the guys I know um, as well, even some outside of Calvary are very much the same way. I, I looked at him kind of funny, and I was like, like, isn't every pastor talking about these things? Like, you know, I was almost, I was like in shock to, to hear, and I've heard from many of you, like, that's just not the case. And, and um, you know, uh, Peter told the, the elders in, in 1 Peter 5, uh, he told them to shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And so, you know, my focus, 90% of my focus is, on you, you know, and that's what I'm, I'm thinking about. And so sometimes I'm, I can be a little bit oblivious to some, the fact of what's going on in, you know, some of these other places. And then I hear things like this, and I'm like, wow, like, really? People aren't talking about this. Like, which to me just seems like it's normal. Like, it should be normal that we talk about these things. And, and to hear that it's more abnormal is um, really, really shocking to me. All right, I'm looking for this one question. And okay, here it is. What are your thoughts regarding the support of providing red heifers to Israel for the requirements to build the third temple? Any thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> Jason, you told me any question about Israel, you would answer. So. You want me to answer a question about supporting the third temple in the red half? No, you don't. Well, I think the question answers itself uh, in a sense that providing red heifers to Israel, first of all, the red heifers have to be born in Israel to be qualified as uh, the purifying sacrifice, the ashes. Not only that, they have to be three years old. So there's all these qualifications, according to the law, uh, that disqualifies any heifers from Texas or anywhere else as, uh, as being that which will sanctify the instruments of worship and the priests. Okay. All right. Whoever put that in, we got it in for you. So. <laughs> Um, what about this one? Uh, when do you see the fulfillment of Isaiah 17 happening? And maybe explain what Isaiah 17 is. You want to hit that, Barry? Damascus will become a ruinous heap, basically become uninhabitable. As far as when it's going to happen, it's uh, three weeks from Wednesday. I don't know when it's going to happen. So please uh, keep your emails to yourself. I don't, I'm not making a prediction. But I, I believe that it is possible that the destruction of Damascus is what launches the Ezekiel invasion. That here you've got three of the invading forces in the Ezekiel coalition already with military hardware and personnel on the northern border of Israel. Israel is constantly running sorties, blowing up weapons that the Iranians are shipping into the country. And, you know, it's quite possible that, you know, we hear about chemical weapons and things of that nature. 
that there are there is some type of bunker of chemical weapons in uh, in Damascus that explodes uh, on impact and basically makes the city uninhabitable. But I'd encourage you uh, to go to YouTube and look or put in a drone footage of Damascus. And what you'll see is that much of Damascus is already a ruinous heap. It's actually quite stunning to look at. And uh, I think the, the most important aspect is that the implication is that it's going to be a place where no one can live. And that would imply some type of chemical or nuclear type of event. And, uh, you know, there are those who would like to argue, well, that actually happened with Sennacherib and, and all that. And, and no, it didn't. And the reason it didn't is because there's still a Damascus. Right. And Scripture says it won't be an inhabitable city anymore. When that's going to happen, we don't know. But there's a lot of Israeli activity inside of Syria right now. So could be that. And then that kind of puts the hook in the jaw motivationally into the mouth of those nations, and they are drawn down and attack Israel, possibly. Good. All right, this question came in. Is there any line the Democratic Party could cross that could cause you to speak against their party from the pulpit? And then it says in parentheses, arresting pastors for hate speech. And we were talking about this uh, at lunchtime. I I think they're... All of us, um, you know, are do speak against both parties from the pulpit because neither party is, um, you know, has their act together. And, you know, we are to call sin, sin. And, you know, if you're here in our church, you, you know that when, um, you know, Newsom put up billboards inviting people from other states to come here and get an abortion where, you know, their state wouldn't let them get an abortion. You know, we talked about that and just how evil and how wrong um, that is. And um, But the thing that I, I want you to know in this too, is, and this is what I want you to catch, is that it's one thing to speak against the party platform on both sides and I think the pulpit is a place to do that and to call out unrighteousness. That's our job as, you know, those who are declaring truth to say, you know, this is what's going on. This is what this group is saying, and it's, it's wrong, and this is why. But there's a difference between speaking about a party and speaking about a person who is a Democrat or a Republican. And this might shock some of you, but there are Christians who are Democrats. Um, There are. There are people in this church. There are people in all of our churches who um, are Democratic for one reason or another, but they believe in Jesus. And that's the thing I think that we need to understand as believers is, is it's one thing to speak against the ideology of a party, but we have to separate that from the person. And the person that lives by you or the person in your family that, that may just, you know, be uneducated or, or they, they've, their whole family and tradition for years as, you know, they've been a part of this uh, party. And if you nailed them down and said, well, okay, but do you believe, you know, your party supports this, 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 and this, you know, do you support that? Oh, absolutely not. But for some reason, you know, they're still a part of 
that party. And so I, I just think that we have to be very, very careful um, as Christians to you know, watch the way that we're picking and, and fighting in these, these battles because there are the souls of people that don't know Jesus that are at stake. And so we have to be really, really careful that we don't, you know, come across in, 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 type of, in, in a way where we're going to be pushing people away from Jesus because of a political stance. And we need to understand that there are people in both parties that don't know Jesus who are deceived for, and, and that they need their eyes open to the truth. So anybody want to add to that? Yeah, I just think it's our job to teach the Bible and to love God's people. And when I mean teach the Bible, that's going to hit, hit the first part that you talked about, Pastor Rob. I, I think anybody up here and anybody who, who actually takes the, the call of a pastor, if you're not willing to call sin, sin, and say it needs to be repented of, you should just quit right now. Because, because I don't think you're doing an honorable job before the Lord. If you're not willing to speak against unrighteousness and, 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 to, hold, and, and to hold people accountable, then you're not, you're not a pastor in what you're doing. But, but in, the same, in the same breath that I say that, I say that just what Pastor Rob said, the reality is sometimes we can lump people into a group and say everyone who votes this way thinks this way. Everyone who um, you know, goes to this type of church, this is the way they are. And I just think that's incredibly dangerous because you know, our job is... I don't, I don't know, I, I'm, I'm just facetiously, but none of us get to decide who gets to go to heaven or hell. We know what the standard is. You believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your simple belief in Him and the finished work that He did for you. But I don't get to sit down with an individual and say, because you voted this way, you're not going to go to heaven. That's absolutely ridiculous. And people walk into all of our churches, and they come in with this mindset already. And if what, all they hear from us is this party is bad... And they identify with that party or that group or that religion, then they're never going to be open to hearing the truth is that Jesus loves them, died for them, and has a plan for them. So in no way should we skirt away from telling the truth about sin and calling people out for it. And that, as Pastor Rob said, so true. That'll address things in both parties. But where I just think we, we, you know, we want to make sure we are helping people see Jesus. And I don't care whether they're Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, whether they are Catholic, Pentecostal, Presbyterian. I want to share Jesus with them and have them come fall in love with our Savior. Green Party Party even then, too. Purple Party. All right. Two more questions. This one, it doesn't have to do necessarily with Bible prophecy, but I think it's worth um, having us address because I sense some heart break here. It says, as a parent, how do I counter what my son is being taught in college? That's a tough thing that a lot of people are struggling with. Um, when you, you guys want to address that? Having a grandson in college, um, my wife and I sat him down before he moved out to the college that he attends. And I told him, you're going to have to put your junk meter on high. And they're going to feed you a bunch of garbage. And he said, oh, yeah, I already got all the things that I needed to fill out and sign 
you know, that, that I would be sensitive to this and sensitive to that. And he said, you know, in the big portion where his answer was to be included, he wrote, okay. And that, you know, basically get off my back kind of thing. And I think, you know, one, we have to remember that, uh, you know, we're, our whole kids' lives were laying the groundwork for the preparation for life, you know, because what's happening on the campus is happening in the workplace. You know, it's not quite being force-fed in the workplace uh, the way it is on the campuses today, the indoctrination centers uh, that we have. But we make no bones about it in talking with our kids and grandkids and just say, and, and my wife is on me constantly about using this word, but it's in the Bible. And don't worry, it's not a swear word. But I say, unashamedly, evolution is stupid. It's just stupid. And I've said in multiple sermons, it is an insult to human intelligence to say that elementary particles can self-arrange and go from inorganic to organic is beyond impossible. It's an insult to any thinking person. And I want that kind of thinking in our kids' minds, that you're going to hear things that are absolute lies. And if you're hearing something that is contradictory to the Bible, then it's wrong. Because after all, God is the authority over all creation, and everything he says is true. And the little bit of science that's in the Bible is completely accurate. You know, cultures throughout the course of history believed that the earth was flat or that it was on the back of Atlas or a giant turtle. I mean, there were all types of explanations as to why the earth was hanging out in space. But the Bible says he hangs the earth on nothing. And the Lord sits over the circle of the earth. The Bible says the earth is spherical. The Bible says it's hung in space by God himself. He's the one that laid the foundations of the earth. And the Bible's not a book of science, but the science that's in it is 100% accurate. And therefore, we can trust in it and not accept anything else. And I I like the story uh, of a college professor. There was a bumper sticker that floated around for years that said, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. He took that bumper sticker and he crossed off, I believe it, and put it on his office door. And his students were pounding on the door. What did you cross that out for? He said, because it doesn't matter if you believe it. God said it. That settles it. Yeah. Amen. Amen. You know, depending on where your student is, what, what, what Pastor Barry just said is so good for preparing them to go into school and, and, and everything he just said. I don't need to repeat it. It was so good. I know some of you have kids that have bought into that system. They've bought into the lie. They, they've kind of... Well, you know, hey, listen, I know you've said this mom and dad for years or grandpa and grandma, but, boy, this intelligent professor is saying all these things. And so, you know, you, you barely graduated high school. How, how can you, you know, really compete with that? And it, it's, it's a heartbreaking experience to go through, I can only imagine. And I think the best thing to do if you're in that place of that question, because we don't obviously know where the heart came from in asking it, is just to keep loving them and keep telling them the truth. Because I, I feel like the church can err on both sides of the thing. You know, we can get someone who, you know, believes that, you know, it's okay to be homosexual. It's okay to think you're a man when you're a woman and all these things. And, and, and the church can respond with utter anger, like, how ridiculous are you? How can you think that I raised you so much better than that? Or uh, I think where the church more is today is we err on the side of just, you know, yeah, whatever, I guess that's okay. Um, yeah, sure, you, you believe it, it's fine. And, 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 and because of the, sparing the relationship... We don't, we don't want to speak truth to them. But, but 
But the balance that we see, I didn't make it up. This is how Jesus handled stuff. He told people the truth, but he did it in love. Because eventually, your precious kids are going to realize that the world's been lying to them forever. And when they finally realize that, they're going to turn to people that have been loving to them and told them the truth. They'll have church people that have been mad and mean, and they'll have their friends who have been accepting and loving but not telling them the truth. What they need still in their life is a parent or a grandparent or a pastor that will love them and tell them the truth so they know where to turn back to when they finally realize, this I've been lied to for 10 years. That's good. All right, one more thing. No. Sorry. I think we would do well to maybe educate ourselves in combating those things. Uh, there's a guy named Dr. Stephen Meyer. He's an old earther, and I don't agree with that. But he's written a book called Signature in the Cell and another book called Darwin's Doubt. He basically disassembles you know, the fossil record in Darwin's Doubt, and then he talks about the complexity of a single DNA cell. And that might sound lofty for all of us. We don't normally recreational read molecular biology books, but it's, it's for us, and it would help us to answer those questions, uh, not just you know, with what I said earlier, that's stupid. I, when I tell the congregation or conference that's stupid, I back it up with the probabilities of self-arranged you know, uh, elementary particles or simple proteins and all that and give information that I've learned from my own study. And I think the better we can answer the questions, uh, the better we can combat the assault that's on our kids' minds. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, Jason has an excellent book called Groundwork that you can get on Amazon um, that I think would be a great gift to give to your uh, junior high, high school, college-age student. Um, because really, the battle and the things that they're being taught, um, the, the deception that's being taught, it's, it's starting way, below, be, way before college these days. Um, but I would also say this, and I want to say this to any of you parents, grandparents, who, of kids who are not yet going to college, Two things that I, I really want you to just kind of put in your mind. And the first is what I said earlier, is really get your young people to look at, seriously look at the whole idea and the, the, the subject of the resurrection of Jesus. And to look at all the arguments that have been given for why Jesus really didn't rise from the dead. None of them make sense at all. So the only logical conclusion is he rose from the dead. So that means Jesus is who he said he was. He did what he said he was going to do. And that makes the the apologetic for the rest of what we believe in the Bible so much easier to talk about when we start. The starting point is the resurrection of Jesus. And sometimes we can get so caught up and, and, and get off base in arguing about all these other things and theories about creation and this you know, sort of thing when if we start with the resurrection, um, that just really, really brings validity to everything else that we believe in the Bible. The second thing I would say, though, is this. Pray for your kids, your grandkids, that they have an experience with Jesus, that they know that 
that they know that they know that they know that they've experienced him. I heard Sean McDowell, who is a, you know, great apologist, and that's his ministry and his life. I heard him say this, apologetics by itself is not enough. They have to experience Jesus. And I believe that wholeheartedly because when I went to college, there were things that professors said that I did not have an answer to. There were things that it wasn't like, you know, that they, they said it, and I was like, well, wait a second, the Bible says this. There were things that they said that I, had, I didn't have an answer to, but I knew I had experienced Jesus. So I knew that Jesus was real, that he was alive, that he was living in my heart, and so when they said something that I didn't have an answer to, it was like, okay, I don't have an answer to that, but I'm pretty sure there is an answer to that. And because I've experienced Jesus, I'm going to go and find the answer to that instead of allowing my faith to get shaken. And I think a lot of times, you know, we can really, really infiltrate into the minds of kids the great apologetic information, but because a lot of them have never really had a true experience with Jesus, they easily get swept away. So we have to pray that in our youth groups and in our churches and that our young people are really having a true encounter and experience with Jesus. And then that begins to be something that when these when they're taught things that they don't understand, that they can fall back on. I know that Jesus is real because of the resurrection and because I've experienced him. And so those are two things I would add to that. Yeah. All right, last question here. And um, we have a little bit of time, so I don't, want you guys, I don't want you guys to rush through this. But I think that this is a, a good um, question. We've sort of hit on it before, but I wanted to just end it with this. It says, if the vast majority of Christians do not believe in the pre-trib rapture, and actually the vast majority of Christians don't believe in a rapture, period, um, not just pre-trib. So the, the, the question says, maybe they are correct. Aren't today's topics just as valid either way. Somebody want to address that? Sure. <clears throat> the absence of the rapture creates prophetic holes in the Bible, and it leaves too many things unfulfilled, and, and that's problematic, because then when you start having things that are not fulfilled, then what Jesus said becomes untrue. That none of the law will go unfulfilled. Every jot and tittle will come to pass. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 168, the entirety of your word is truth. So therefore, the, uh, before the lawless one can be revealed, the hindering force of the church has to be taken out of the way. That's the rapture of the church. Jesus has to come and get us, as he promised at, uh, in John 14, has been alluded to today. And that's the rapture of the church. Uh, Revelation 4.1, John as a representative of the church is told to come up here. What do we do with that? Uh, how do we allegorize all these things if there is no literal rapture of the church? So the rapture is an important doctrine, but it doesn't save anybody. We're saved by the blood of Jesus. And, and that's the only way we're saved. And you know, how many have ever made a mistake since they got saved? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The rest of you just made a mistake because you lied in church. You shouldn't, shouldn't do that. We, we've, all, 
made mistakes, right? And I think every pastor sitting up here or anywhere, if they're going to be honest, they would say, you know what, the further I studied, I saw that maybe what I thought before uh, needed some adjustment or, or I needed to see it more clearly based on other passages that I now come to understand more fully. And so, you know, there are things that people are, are going to uh, misbelieve, I guess, or, or doubt that are not salvation issues. Uh, there are things that are non-negotiables. You have to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. The deity of Christ is a non-negotiable. It is essential to our salvation. Uh, you know, the blood of Christ uh, paying the penalty for our sins is essential uh, to our salvation. Uh, Jesus being the exclusive way to Christ uh, separates him from all the other religious leaders and teachers throughout the course of history. That's essential. We have to believe that he is the Christ, the Son of the living God, the way, the truth, and the life. So these things are important. But your eschatological position is not going to save you. Um, and thankfully, personally, I think the pre-rathers, mid-tribbers, and post-tribbers are in for a very pleasant surprise. Amen. Amen. You, you, know, it, you know, if it was not a pre-trib rapture, um, you know, I, I, was talking, I was talking with someone on the radio about this. Um, you know, uh, that he was kind of a post-trip kind of person. I said, that removes the imminent return of Christ. I said, because as soon as the Antichrist goes in to the holies and holies and declares himself to be God, all you have to do is count 1,260 days, and you know that Jesus Christ is going to come back at that time. That removes the imminent return of Christ. When I brought that up, he was silent. He He was just quiet. And so the book of Revelation, as um, you know, it's been talked about up here, it comes with a divine outline. Now, in chapter 1, verse 19, it comes with, write the things you have seen, which is chapter 1, the, Jesus Christ. Write the things which are, chapters 2 and 3, that describes the churches in, in chapters 2 and 3. The church is mentioned 19 times in chapters 2 and 3. Chapter 4, verse 1, a picture or type of the rapture of the church. And then chapter 6 through 19 describe the tribulation period. The church isn't mentioned one time, one time during chapter 6 through 19. And it's amazing because it says, write the things you have seen, the things which are, the things which shall take place after this. After this, the Greek word is metatauta. What does chapter 4, verse 1 starts with? Metatauta, showing that it is a divine outline that the book of Revelation gives us so we don't go wrecking and specking and what the book is about. No, it gives us a divine outline so we don't go jacking it up. And I tell people the, the book of Revelation is the 66th book of the Bible. You need a working knowledge of the other 65 to understand the 66th. And many of us, we're old enough to remember when the odd answers used to be in the back of the book. Book of Revelation, the last book, it tells us, gives us answers to all the odd things that's going on in the world today. Amen. Both of what these guys just shared was so good. So good to answer that question. But I just want to focus in, since you said we had a little time, you know, just the, the, whole, the whole process, it's true, 94% of the church does not believe in the rapture of the church. And it goes back to, I think, where we started the first question, like, well, well, why? 
because there's a general ignorance of the Word of God. And, and, and I know for 98% of you in the room, this is so basic, but <coughs> Paul says, behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet will sound and the, dre- the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. And if that wasn't enough... Then he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, again, I know most of you are well familiar with this, but he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 13, but I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those that have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we do, even so God will bring him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you, by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, will by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. (coughs) Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Thus we shall always... Be with the Lord. So, my two-minute summary is, that's talking about something. We don't pull the rapture out of the air because I'm afraid of the tribulation period. And I'll tell you, I am afraid of the tribulation period. People are like, you're just trying to escape it. You bet I'm trying to escape it. You want to go through it, God bless you, but I... I would be glad to escape it. Now, here's what all of us know. If tomorrow we wake up and Antichrist has been revealed and he's on the throne, I've had people tell me, like, you're deceiving the church. They won't know what to do. I'm like, what do you mean we won't know what to do? My next sermon will be like, I was wrong. Don't take the mark of the beast. Don't. He's obviously real. Don't take the mark of the beast. Nobody... I believe that we will escape because the Bible seems to say, he says, then comfort one another with these words. And to me, it is not comforting to think about giant hailstones and stinging locusts and all these things happen. And I think the, the pattern of the book of Revelation, everything that Pastor Barry is talking about, it's a good reason to say, I think what Pastor Barry said, to not believe in the rapture as a whole, whatever your view on when it is before the tribulation or before, after, during the middle, it leaves holes in theology. And that's absolutely true. Because Paul is talking about something. And don't tell me he's talking about the return of the Caesar to the city. You have to sit on your head and squint to see that in the text. If you just do what we're supposed to do, open up the Bible, read it, and believe it. You know, whether, whether you agree with it or not or understand it or not, just God said it, so it must be true. Something is going to happen where the trumpet's going to sound... And we are going to meet the Lord in the air. Amen. Yeah, and Jesus in in Luke 21, where he's talking about the tribulation, says, and pray that you would be counted worthy to escape (laughs) this, all these things, you know. But but here's what's interesting. And the the question, the end of that was, aren't the topic, today's topics just as valid either way? And actually, they're not. If you believe, if you don't believe in a rapture, Those who don't believe in a rapture pretty much allegorize 
the whole tribulation period, that that's really not going to happen. Or some of them think that we are in it right now. Like, give me a break. I mean, we haven't seen anything yet. And so, you know, that just doesn't make sense at all. But for those who believe in a, a rapture that is mid-trib or, or post-trib, you know, it does change the way you look at things. You know, you're getting ready to go through the tribulation. You're looking for the Antichrist, which the Bible never tells us to be looking for the Antichrist. It tells us to be looking for Jesus Christ. So it does change the way that you view these topics and look at the Bible as the way that you view when the rapture is going to take place. And because we all believe that the rapture is going to happen before the tribulation time, that the church isn't going to be a part of it, uh, the tribulation, that we're going to be taken out, um, that we you know, believe, and we could talk for hours about why we believe that and why it see, the Bible seems to be clearly teach this. And let me just say this too. There are those who will say today, well, oh, that's a new idea that was, um, came about by a guy named John Darby in the 1800s. <coughs> yeah. No, Jesus in John chapter 14 was talking about the rapture. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 was talking about the rapture. Paul in 1 Corinthians, or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 was talking about the rapture. The apostles, like Jason was saying, they lived. And this, and I want you to think about this, okay? They lived, and they they were, we see all these exhortations to them about time being short. That we need to be living and getting ready for you know, the coming again of Jesus. And this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. If that is not true, and we're going through the tribulation, or the rapture isn't going to happen, then basically the Holy Spirit was lying to all of us. Because they taught with an eminent, you know, idea that we need to be ready for Jesus to come for his church. And so... It does affect the way that you view these things. And, and so that's why it, it's something that we can get very, very passionate about because, you know, we believe with all of our heart. And, yeah, we might be in the minority. Um, and I think Jason hit it on the nail on the head. And I think especially with young pastors today, I think the reason why they tend to, you know, not believe in the rapture and move away from it is it just sounds so bizarre to them. And they want to look at everything and they want everything in their theology to just kind of be able to fit in this box. But if you walk with Jesus long enough, you know, there's so much about God. He does not fit in a box. And so we have to realize that and understand that. So um, we're going to do this. We're going to take a five minute break. All right. So um, stand up, stretch. If you want to go get a cup of coffee or something, do it quickly, and then we're going to finish up hearing from Pastor Tony today. Oh, Let's yeah. hear it for these guys. Pastor Tony.